But here's this guy who's done everything right his entire life. And he comes to Jesus saying, hey, look what I've done. Look at me. Here's my resume. You know what he wanted Jesus to say? Probably what we want to do when he's done a good job. He wanted Jesus to say, wow, your life, everything you've done has been amazing. In fact, I can't believe that you want to be on my team. I'm so excited. Let's all stand up and rise. He wanted Jesus to, to call forth the rocks and everything to, to applaud this man. That's what he was looking for. That's not what Jesus gave him. Now here we have this, this story, the rich young ruler. In Mark chapter 10, starts at verse 17. Jesus started, out his, started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Can you see him puffing out his chest? I've done this. I got an A on the test. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at the words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said, We've left everything to follow you. The truth, to follow you. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times more as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Here's this young ruler. He's coming up and he goes, I've done it all. I deserve this. I'm not sure if it's okay to, to quote this, but I'm going to quote it anyway. But the musical Hamilton, that, when, I, when I read through this, I mean, Alexander Hamilton comes to mind because he clawed his way up to the top. He worked as hard as he could. He was an illegitimate child. He came from outside the original 13 colonies, and he worked, and he clawed his way up. And in the musical Hamilton, he sings this song. I'm not going to sing it for you because I, I love you guys. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, hungry. I'm not throwing away my shot. Thanks. I'll be here all week. Make sure to tip your waiters and waitresses. But there he is, Alexander Hammond saying, I want my shot. The young ruler comes to Jesus and goes, it's my time. My shot is now. It says that he was rich and he was young. He'd done everything he could to claw his way to the top. And he was young saying, it's done with the older generation. I am on the scene now. How arrogant can you be? I just want to throw something out for you. 
The strike against the man wasn't that he was wealthy. The strike against the man was that he was arrogant and proud and boastful. Look at my resume. Look at what I've done. You guys ever worked with prima donnas? When Terry and I were first married, she worked for the Tulsa Philharmonic, and I won't mention names because, I mean, I'd hate for this person to find out about it and start trashing me online. But a certain young pop singer came to town and had in her contract, they, they make these ridiculous contracts. I want this type of water, and it has to be that type of water in their, in their room. It has to be at a certain temperature. I want this type of limo to pick me up. Well, they went to pick her up at the airport, and she was aghast that they came to pick her up in a white limo and not a black limo. And, I mean, she is just chewing them out. I can't believe this. I've never had to work under such circumstances in my entire life. What? How incompetent are you people? I mean, just going on and on and on, and, and Terry's boss, his boss was sitting there just taking, taking it in stride going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And uh, he said all of the black Limos were reserved this weekend, were rented out this weekend. I, I'm so sorry about this. This was the best that we could do. She goes, well, this is just completely unacceptable. But I'm a professional, and I will still perform. And I'm like, so Terry's telling me this story. I'm like, I don't even want to go hear her sing, but we had free tickets, so I'm going to go anyway. Conversely, uh, one of the last people they had in during that, that concert season was Doc Severinsen, for the younger people, you have no clue who that is, but he played trumpet on the Johnny Carson show. Anyone remember Johnny Carson? Yeah, like three of you? Okay. <laughs> the guy was amazing. He was so much fun. We went out to dinner afterwards. He comes over to our table, and I, I, I was sitting at the peon table because you had, like, the, the really good table. Then you had the okay table, and then you had, like, our table, and we were only there just to, you know, like, I don't know, to make everybody else feel good about themselves. But he came over to our table, and he starts telling these stories, and he was amazing, it was fun, and he goes, hey, I'm just a hillbilly plays trumpet. He goes, I'm, just, I'm not even used to wearing shoes when I play trumpet. And I'm like, wow, you're like the coolest guy ever. I would go back and hear him sing. The other lady, you couldn't pay me money to listen to her sing. And here's this rich young ruler. He's coming to Jesus, and he goes, look at everything that I have done. So now imagine with me this rich young ruler, because he's Jewish, because at Passover, if you were Jewish, you went to Jerusalem. You brought your year-old lamb with you to slaughter it, to once again atone for another year. So he's in Jerusalem. He walks by the scene. He looks up. He sees Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's thinking to himself, how can this be? Maybe, and we have no proof that it's ever happened, but maybe he stopped there to take in the scene to understand what was going on. And just maybe he hears this thief, this infidel, ask Jesus for forgiveness. And Jesus just freely gives it out. Can you imagine how angry you would be? When I was in junior high, I had an older brother, an amazing older brother, and because he was older than me, he would drive me back and forth to school, and, and he would take me places, and uh, I, I feel bad for him now that he just had to drag me all over the place. But that's what he would do. That was his job. And so our junior high and our high school were right next door to each other, and so he would pick me up, and he would park in a place. I wouldn't have to walk all the way across campus to go get to the car. He was such a good guy, still is a good guy. And we would give this other friend of ours a ride. He was a friend of mine, and I remember one time we were – 
in the locker room, and he's just trashing my brother. Oh, you know, your brother's this, your brother's that, your brother's this. And I, I was, I'd had it. I had it up to here. And I'm like, listen, Mike, you can't talk about my brother like that. You're not getting a ride home from school today. So we get there. I tell my brother what Mike had said. I said, we're not giving him a ride home. I said, phooey on him. Mike has the audacity to show up and said, hey, uh, can I get a ride home? And I'm like, tell him, kid, tell him. Ken goes, yeah, yeah, you get a ride home. Mark, jump in the back seat, let him sit shotgun. I'm like, are you kidding me? For all that is holy, for all that is right, stone him. Do something. Make me feel good about this. I can understand where the rich young ruler is coming from because he's like, I've done everything right. And you're giving forgiveness to someone who, in my opinion, doesn't deserve it? Have you ever been there? You ever experienced that? You're like, wow. That's where the rich young ruler is coming from. That's where Jesus Christ is coming from. One of the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross, I get this, the thief looks at him. One, one thief is mocking him. He goes, hey, Jesus, if you truly are the son of God, why don't you get yourself on the cross, take us down with you, and it would be a great party. He said, in fact, I'll buy the first round. The other thief looks at him and says, are you crazy? We deserve to be up here. Now, I just want you to know, if you're hanging on a cross, it's not because you're a common, petty cat burglar. It's because you're considered an enemy of the state of Rome. They didn't just hang anybody. They didn't say, hey, I don't like you, I'm going to hang you. No, no. It was a way of showing people, don't mess with us. I'm not sure exactly how bad they were, but they were bad guys. One criminal looks at Jesus and says, please remember me. They didn't even ask him to take him with me. Just remember my name today when you go to paradise. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm not sure how many of the laws that this guy had broken. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he probably broke all ten of the commandments. He probably, and not only that, we all know about the, the major ten commandments that there were well over 600 commandments that every Jewish person had to abide by. He probably broke all of them and with glee and joy. And yet Jesus offered him forgiveness. When God created planet Earth, he created it so that we could spend time with him. It tells us, early on in, in, in the book of Genesis, it says, in the cool of the day, Jesus came down and hung out with them. How cool is that? They were able to walk and talk with, with God and spend time with God and see how amazing God was. They had a knowledge of God that you and I will not have until we get to heaven. But sin broke that. But you know, God didn't look at it and say, okay, I'm going to destroy all of mankind because all mankind deserves to be destroyed. Here's what God said. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. He looks at the, the thief and says, today you will be with me in paradise. God created us to be with him in community. To be with God. There's nothing more amazing in all of Scripture than to know that God wants to spend time with us. 
Have you ever had that one person in life that you just love hanging out with? And when they text you or call, you're like, oh, man, really? You're going to go hang out? That is so much fun. That's what it's like with God. When we get to spend time with God, when we truly get to enter into his presence, it transforms who we are. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be hanging on a cross next to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, one one person of the Trinity, and realize I need him in my life. Jesus' word to his followers was this, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't understand how eternity works. And and if you've got a mathematical equation for it, please share it with me. I mean, not not like right now, unless you're at home, you know, put it in the comment section. I'm not exactly sure how eternity works, but I know That based on our decision, and our, our one decision is this, have we asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins, based on that one decision decides where we spend eternity and who we spend eternity with. And so for, at that moment, we break off of the timeline that we're on and we go into eternity. In this past year, there have been so many saints that have entered into eternity. And I remember sitting there going, wow, what, what's going on? And I just go over amazing Christian people who go, who stepped over to eternity. There's a, a person who passed away a couple weeks ago, and someone said, are you afraid? And he said, I'm not afraid because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it takes away all my fears of death. That thief is on the cross. He is looking death right in the eye, and he realizes, I've lived my life for nothing. Maybe my death can be for something. Jesus was alone. He was on the cross. And now get this. He had followers. He had disciples. There were 12 people who ate supper with him the night before crucifixion. One of them left and betrayed him, but we know that he's not going to be there. Ten others scattered like field mice, and yet the Apostle John stayed there. And it's so cool to see how, how Jesus spoke out to him, even though he's in agony. I've never been nailed to a cross before. I one time walked on a board of nails, which I don't really suggest, don't do that. And I remember when a nail stuck to my foot, I had to go get a tetanus shot. It was not funny. I don't, I don't suggest tetanus shots either. But I couldn't imagine hanging on a piece of wood with nails in my wrists and my feet. It does not sound like a fun Friday night, does it? Jesus was alone, and it says that even God turned his face, because he could not handle the sea that was going on. So many times we forget that God has a purpose for us. 
Jesus may have seemed like he was alone, but he wasn't. I get it. He was looking out over these people. And these aren't words, but I, I feel that this is what Jesus was saying. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Because every person, the people who drove the nails into him, the people who hung him in the crowd, the people who were laughing at him and spitting at him and jabbed him with a sword, took his garments and split it and, and, and gambled for it, Jesus died for them just the same way he died for me. And I struggle with this because here's why I struggle with this. I look at evil people, and there's a lot of evil people in the world. And sometimes in my flesh, I'm like, they don't deserve God. But I realize that Jesus Christ died for the evil and the holy alike. Four years ago, Terry and I were coming back from Branson, or actually Springfield, Missouri, coming back from Pastor Kenneth and Pastor April's wedding. And my parents were watching the boys, and so we went to church in Joplin, and we had time when we were done, and she's like, hey, should we go pick up the boys early? I'm like, no, we shouldn't. We should enjoy this freedom. And so there was a movie play. I'm like, I really want to go watch this movie. Let's go and watch it. And it's called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. And it's about a, an actor who was a child actor, and he grew up to be a, a, a goof, a, a loose cannon, a, a party animal, got in lots of trouble. And so he was required by a judge to spend 200 hours working at a church. And so he got there, and he's mopping, and he's cleaning toilets, doing all the things you want to do. And it's so funny because he showed up dressed like a rock star, and he's having to get on his hands and knees and clean stuff. Funny as all get out. But then he realizes that they're putting on a passion play. He's like, man, I'm an actor. They need an actor. He's watching other people act, and he realizes they have no talent whatsoever. And so he goes, hey, you know, how do I get a part of this? And they're like, well, you have to be a Christian. He goes, I'm a Christian? I'm like, well, since when? He goes, well, I'm new at it, but I'm a Christian. Goes online, downloads somebody else's testimony, and gives it as his own testimony, which, by the way, is plagiarism. Don't borrow someone else's testimony. Go out and make your own. I mean, don't, don't go out and make your own testimony, but uh, tell your own story. But during all of this, he finds Jesus. But I want to show you a part from that where he's talking to the rich young ruler. I just want you to step in and feel what he's talking about. There's no video? I have no video. It took me two days to steal that. No, sorry, I didn't steal it. He, uh, he's talking to the rich young ruler. And he says, go and sell everything you have and get to the poor. Just like we said. And he turns and walks away. And then he steps forward. He goes, stop. Don't go. And like, the director's flipping through going, where's he going? He's, he's gone off script. He said, don't you realize what you're giving up? And I think that's what Jesus has said that when, when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, that he loved him. It didn't say that he was judging him. He loved him. You see, God created us to serve others. When Jesus looked at him, he loved him. He didn't judge him, but he loved him, and he wanted to hold him to a higher standard. I mean, in raising our kids, we do the same thing. Oftentimes, we're like, oh, you're judging me. No, we're not. We're loving you. There's a difference. If we were judging you, we'd stop feeding you. 
If we were judging you, we would put chains on you. We would, we would, we would brand you or something like that. We're loving you. We expect more out of you. We know that you can be great. One of my favorite things to tell Jack, and you can share this with him, I'll, I'll look at him from time to time I'm like, you're wasting my DNA. And he'll look at me and he goes, I just want you to know, my DNA is so much better than your DNA. If you've seen him stand next to me lately, you'd have to agree, yeah, his DNA is a lot better than my DNA. But Jesus looked at him, not, not in a judging manner, not in a, I can't believe you're such a screw-up. He looked at him and he loved him. He didn't want him to go, but he said there's a problem. You're putting all of your worth in your stuff. You're putting all your worth in this instead of saying, God, I I just want to be used by you. I want to be moved by you. I want to see great things happen because of what you're calling me to be. You and I were created to love God and to love others. We were created for that relationship. Pastor Abel talked about the community. You see, John Wesley, when people become Christians, when they would be led to faith in revivals, the first thing he would do is he would put them in a small group. He called it a class structure. There'd be 12 people in these class structures, and they would get a card, and, and it was their way learning and growing in faith. And then inside of these, these groups of 12, they would be knocked down into three smaller groups and the groups of four, which were called band groups. And it would, they would strive and they would encourage one another to grow in their faith. They'd ask each other tough questions. What did you read in the Bible this week? How, how did you pray this week? Did you share the word of God with somebody this week? And they didn't do this in a judging way. They did this in a way of building up and encouraging and, and helping you to go on and on and on. See, God created us for holy community. God created it for us to love him most. God does not want to be our second choice. Can you imagine? You know, it, it's hitting that season. If you're in high school, it, it's prom season. But you're hedging your bets, and I really want to go to prom with this person, but you go up to somebody else and said, hey, I want you to know, will you be my fallback? I mean, who gets excited about being the fallback? Oh, thank you. Do you step closer while I kick you now? But we play that card on Jesus all the time. Hey, God, I really do love you, but this week I need you to play second fiddle. This week, I need you to be my fallback. If nothing else happens in my life, then, man, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time with you. You see, we're talking about the Daniel fast and what that means of eating fruits and vegetables and nuts and, and giving up uh, animal products and, and, and uh, dairy and meat. And I love eating meat. I mean, really, really love eating meat. I judge a restaurant by how good of hamburgers they serve. And if they don't serve good hamburgers, I'm like, that's not a good restaurant. So we'll go out to some place, and, and my wife will make fun of me. She goes, you're getting a hamburger? I'm like, yeah, they're the bomb. Now, I go to the Rusty Barrel, I don't get a hamburger, I get a steak. I mean, I'm not stupid. But so many times... We say to God, hey, I'm going I'm to join this. I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to be challenged. 
And then somebody come up and say, hey, uh, you want to meet me at Five Guys Burgers and Fries? Which, by the way, is really good hamburgers. And we're like, fast? What fast? I'll take it, as, as Ross said to the, the Rachel and friends, we're on a break! You see, we do that with God. We say, oh God, you're my number one. I love you so much. You're so amazing. I want to write you a poem, God, because I love you so very much. And then when it comes down to it, we say, hey God, um, I'm booting you back to the back of the bus because something else came up. Anyone else struggle with that besides me? I'm the only one in here who struggles with that. You see, God wants us to love him most. Let me put it this way. I'm married. You guys know I'm married? My, my wife's up here. She's sitting on the worship team. Can you imagine how, how extremely excited Terry would be if I came up to her one day and said, hey, uh, I'm going to marry someone else and she's going to move in with us? I mean... There's two kinds of stupid in the world. That was one you don't come back from. If it wouldn't work in our marriage, why would it work in our relationship with God? I've got a story. I'm going to share that story. But it's really funny. <clears throat> Ask Jack. He'll tell you the story. But here's what Peter said. We have given up everything to follow you. You ever feel that sometimes with God? You just go before and say, God, I've made so many sacrifices. I've given this up. I've given this up. I've given this up. Back in 2003, my wife and I went to Montana. It was the first time that she'd been to Montana with me. I took her to my hometown. I took her where I grew up. And she goes, this place is amazing. And I said, yeah, this is the cross I bear for Jesus. God wants me in Ponca City, but my heart and my, my eyes say, this place is amazing. How many times we look at God and say, well, look what I've given up for you, God. Look what I've sacrificed for you, God. Instead of saying, you know what, God? I'd gladly do it all over again. When, when I played sports, because I lived in an amazing area, I had to sign a contract during basketball season and track season that I wouldn't go snow skiing. My, my wife was just shocked. She goes, Mark, you lived 30 miles from a ski resort and you never went, went skiing? I'm like, no, I was in sports. I had to sign a contract. Because the team was more important than me. And so she's like, well, is it dangerous? Well, a friend of mine went skiing after her freshman year at college and she played college basketball, hit a tree stump and tore ACL and had to give up her scholarship. Yeah, it's pretty important. Peter said, we've given up everything, God. We've, we've, we've sacrificed everything. But here's what Jesus responds back to him. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, which is eternal life. Whatever we have sacrificed here, it might seem huge, but it's nothing in comparison to what God has given us. When I was in high school, I would have friends ask me, well, Mark, don't you wish you could do this? No. Why? Because it's not who I am. I, I, I had a friend 
Josh, who would ask me on a weekly basis, would it be easier if you could just have sex? I mean, on a weekly basis, he asked me that in, in, in the basketball locker room. Why, why don't you have sex? He, he would say things that are completely inappropriate now and I won't get into. But it just totally messed with him. And I said, I'm willing to give that up now for a better life later. And other friends would say, Mark, wouldn't it be easier if you would go out and drink with all the rest of the guys on the team? It wouldn't, it, wouldn't it bond you closer to the team? I'm like, no. I, I don't see how drinking alcohol is going to make me any closer to the rest of my teammates. Yeah, but wouldn't it be fun? I go, I've seen you guys on Monday morning. You don't look like you're having much fun. Because I lived half an hour from a ski resort, the drugs that would travel through our town was like it was a major town, but it wasn't. And if I wanted to, I knew the people to contact to get drugs if I wanted drugs. We, we look at what we give up, and sometimes we focus on the sacrifices instead of the reward. And God wants us to focus on the reward. You and I were made to live with God. We were created for relationship with God. It's the most important thing. So let me ask you some questions in closing up this morning. Are you living for God? I mean, if somebody were to come up to you and they were to say, hey, tell me, what you, tell me about your life, would you have to really work hard to convince them that you're a Christian, or would they say, man, there's something different about you. Tell me about it. Are you living only to follow God or to get something in return? Are you looking for a payoff from God? Or are you just living full out for him? Let me ask you this question. Is God your first love? I feel that God wants to be our first and last love. So, adults, remember the first time you fell in love? Remember the, the feelings and the emotions you have and the, the fluttering in the stomach and, and like, wow, this is amazing. And you couldn't do anything else because that's all you could think about? Does that describe your relationship with God? I'm not saying that we should be so heavenly minded that we can't do anything else, but wouldn't it be great if we were so heavenly minded that we thought of God first? Not only does God want to be our first love, he wants to be our last love as well. And by that I mean, when you get married, it's not just about loving the person at the time you say the wedding vows, it's loving them all the way through. See, Anybody can love for five minutes, but it takes a true champion to love for a lifetime. I think God not just wants to be our first love, but he wants to be our last love as well. How are you doing on that? Is that too tough for Sunday morning? Hey, pray with me. Dear God, I just thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for the opportunity just to come here and, and to worship you and uh, to share what you want to do. God, I just pray right now, God. Speak to us. I, I pray, Lord, if there's anything in our lives that we need to give up, we need to get rid of, we need to hand over to you, I pray, God, that we would freely hand that over to you. It's my prayer, God, 
that we would seek you with everything we have. We pray this in your holy and awesome name. Amen.